continuing to look at the book of Job. And the heading of today's talk is, Will the one who contends with the Almighty accuse him? Now, when Richard asked me if I would preach on Job, I have to confess I was somewhat panic-stricken. You see, as I said, I am a member of the congregation. I don't have an ology for all those who can remember Maureen Lippmann's wonderful British Telecom ads. More importantly, I don't have a degree in theology. No, my day job, as many of you now know, is in the gloriously shallow world of the beauty industry. So I didn't feel overly confident or qualified when considering my subject matter, particularly as Job is often a challenge to even the greatest of theologians. Sure, I've preached before, but this felt like rather a step up. Rather like the move from writing a story about my Christmas holiday in year one to a dissertation on the Hadron Collider for my Cambridge physics thesis. However, here I am, so you can see I accepted the challenge. Now, I don't know about you, but quite often I come across passages in the Bible that I don't really understand. For the past 20 years or so, I've been a member of a home group that meet each week, and we often study the previous week's Bible passage. What's great about a home group is that you can ask all those questions that you would love to ask after a really difficult sermon, but are far too embarrassed to do so for fear of looking stupid. I thoroughly recommend it, and I have to say that my attendance during the uh, series on Job has virtually been 100%, much to the amazement of the rest of the group. There's nothing like knowing you've got to speak publicly on something to make sure that you understand it. I was somewhat heartened the other week, though, when early on in the series, Nicola, who is Richard's wife and one of our associate vicars here, and no doubt has an ology or two to her name, fessed up that she too had struggled with her sermon on Job. She did what I have done, read around the subject and listened to the views and thoughts of others who have spent much of their life studying God's word. So although I certainly haven't done a copy-paste with this sermon, I have enlisted the help of Ray Steadman and Wayne Turner, among others, to guide my understanding. Right, on to the matter in hand. I'll give you a quick synopsis of the story so far for those who haven't been here on the weeks leading up to this. Job is an upright and blameless man in the eyes of God, and he becomes a pawn a victim of Satan's malice and loses his children, all his worldly goods, and then becomes covered in sores from his head to his feet. And throughout all of this, he amazingly continues to praise God. He then meets with his friends who, having sat Shiva with him to console him, try to convince him that his problems are probably his fault anyway, because to have this, must mi- this much misfortune must mean you've done a lot of sinning. Job, however, maintains he is innocent, but is nonetheless anxious to hear from God, who he feels has abandoned him in all of this. In chapter 30, verse 20, he says, I cry out to you, O God, but you do not answer. 
I'm sure some of us have been in that place before. Then, as we heard last week in chapter 38, God does, in in fact, speak to Job, out of a storm, no less. God takes Job on a tour around creation and nature, firing questions at Job that contrast God's great power and wisdom with Job's, and indeed our, very limited ability and understanding of the world. At the end of this first discourse, God asks the question of Job, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Job is completely overwhelmed by God's display of knowledge and power and wisdom. He realizes that up to this point, he hadn't really acknowledged and totally understood the awesome power of God. So he's feeling a little sheepish that he even dared to question God and speak out in the first place. He says in chapter 40, verse 4, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. However, God hasn't quite finished yet. God tells Job to man up and answer God's questions. In chapter 40, verse 7, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. God asked Job if he really believes that God isn't fair. Would you discredit my justice, he says in chapter 40, verse 8. He asked, does Job have a voice like thunder, as God does? Can Job, or anyone else for that matter, capture the behemoth, which, according to my crib sheets, is probably a hippopotamus, who has limbs, a beast who has limbs like rods of iron? Can Job tame the Leviathan? Those same crib sheets say that this is a crocodile, although I'm not sure when I read about the breath that sets the coals ablaze and the smoke that pours from his nostrils. Sounds more like a dragon to me. Suffice it to say, whatever beast it is, God has created it. Chapter 41, verse 11. Everything under heaven belongs to me. And Job has no power over it whatsoever. Thus, if Job is afraid before these creatures, how could he possibly stand against God? Let's just pause for a minute here. I want you to imagine for just one moment that you are Job. You've just been through tirade number two from God. How are you feeling? Shell-shocked? Reeling? Probably. Upset with God for all you've been through? Possibly. Humble and scared before this immense power? Definitely. Maybe a bit stupid for questioning God in the first place. And yet... How many of us have been in that exact place, questioning God and asking him why he has abandoned us? How often do we cry out to God, blaming him for our circumstances, not able to believe and trust that he has a purpose behind them or can work them out? 
I know I have. A few weeks ago, when Richard was preaching, he was saying that it's okay for us to be angry with God. God understands this. However, here, God is asking us to understand something. God's basic argument is that life is far too complicated for simple answers. God explains that we are mere mortals and cannot possibly know everything that God knows. We don't see the full picture. And thus, at some point, we need to be able to trust God, not argue with him, and accept thy will be done. The most powerful experience I have of this is when my sister Anne was dying of cancer at the age of 50, some 18 years ago. I can remember vividly sitting on my sofa in Chiswick, shouting at God. I was so angry with him for what was happening. My mother was sitting next to me. She held my hands and very calmly, almost too calmly, I thought at the time, she simply said, It isn't my will be done, it's thy will be done. I was completely thrown by this. How could she just accept this, the death of her daughter? As I look back on this moment now, I realise it wasn't that she was happy with the situation, but she did realise that God wasn't to blame for Anne's illness and death, and that she was in no position to challenge God. She just put her trust in him, as she had done her whole life. Through this experience, I have come a little bit closer to understanding that line that we have all said so many times in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. You are a great role model, Mother. In the book of Job, we know that Job has suffered all these things as a result of Satan's malice striking him because we have sight of the lower stage, the earth, and the upper stage, heaven. But Job doesn't know this reason, as we so often don't, and that is the point that God is trying to make to Job. God is telling Job and us that life is very complicated And that we cannot possibly know why everything happens. God has shown Job what a complex world we live in. And he's shown Job that he is the creator God in control. What we must do is to trust God. Trust him to work out these complicated problems in our lives. So how does Job respond to God once he's had these two discourses with him? with repentance and with total humility. Job realizes he was wrong to question God and falls to the ground in dust and the ashes. He says in chapter 42, verse 3, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. But more than just feeling rather ashamed... Job also feels he has a much better understanding of God. Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job doesn't mean that he's actually seen God, 
but that he has a much deeper understanding of the power and might of God and his omnipotence in the world. He understands that God has plans for the world and his people and that we cannot always understand the whys and the wherefores of these plans. Job says in chapter 42, verse 2, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. And that's exactly the lesson that God wants Job to learn. We are part of God's great plan. But again, we're mere mortals and cannot begin to understand everything. How often does something bad happen to us and we have no idea why? And then, sometimes maybe months or even years later, we look back on the situation with a much clearer understanding as things seem to fall into place. Maybe this was all part of God's great plan, I often say to myself. This doesn't always happen, I know. Sometimes on this earth, we will never understand why. I still don't know why his faithful, dedicated servant Anne had to die. But I like to hope in the next life it will all become clear. Like Job, I know that my faith has helped me enormously through the tough times in my life. And I think most Christians will tell you that. The last point I'd like to make as I draw to a close is that I found it difficult when studying this passage to understand that God seems angry with Job for questioning him. Twice, God spoke to Job out of the storm. And I have to say, I felt this was a bit rough, given all that Job has been through. Was God maybe a little frustrated with Job? God knows that Job is a good man, and he really wants Job to understand that he, God, has everything under control. So even if he is a little frustrated, it's out of love for Job. And I'm not sure that frustration or even anger and love are mutually exclusive. How many people here today are parents? Quite a few, I imagine, including Shakira, Cecily and Tim. Have you ever been frustrated or even angry with your children? I won't ask for a show of hands because I know the answer. But... Does that mean that you love your children any less? No, of course not. So I put it to you that maybe God is a little frustrated with Job, but this is not a contradiction to our loving father. God loved Job and God loves us. And there is nothing we can do to make him love us more and nothing we can do to make him love us less. He loves us. God is good and it is not our place to judge him and argue with him. If something awful happens in our lives, we may be angry about it, but it's not our place to question God. If we walk with him, if we trust him, we will discover, as Job did, that he is good to us. And if you come back for the final installment next week, you'll see exactly how good God is as Job's fortunes take a turn for the better. Let's just pray for a moment. 
Father God, thank you for recording for us the struggles of this dear man, Job, as he frankly, openly, and honestly voices his doubts, airs his grievances, addresses you with his complaints. Lord, we hear ourselves in this, crying out to you, blaming you for our circumstances, unwilling to believe that you have a purpose behind them and are able to work them out. Lord, teach us to rest in you, to trust you, and to accept your will be done. Amen.